I'm feeling really ready, like I just said, and I think it's, I think there's something about First Samuel. I do too. I feel like really, um, welcome to the greatest story ever told, everyone. Uh-huh. Peyton and I, Peyton and I were just chatting, shooting the shit, and we realized um, that we were ready and yeah. that we feel really, like, I've been feeling really empowered personally by First Samuel somehow. I like, have too. It's okay. But I actually... I'm really happy to hear you say that because it's a really mysterious feeling to me. Like I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but I feel like I reading first Samuel made me feel like empowered and it made me feel like it made me feel like um, the Bible is not going to get the best of me. Interesting. Why do you say like, that? Well, it's just like, it's not going to fuck with me. Like I'm not going to let it fuck with me. Like I'm oh, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. it made me feel in control. Like I kept having this feeling when I was reading first Samuel where I was like, I can read the Bible and like, I could be a pastor. I don't know if I felt like empowered by what I was reading necessarily, but I felt okay. empowered by my experience with first Samuel because so I left my Bible at my parents' house. So I read part of it in my like OG Bible. Then I had to go to the Goodwill and buy a new Bible, but they didn't have a King James. They had a new <gasps> King James. So I was reading it in like a different, well, I started reading it in a slightly different uh, translation. And then yeah. I was like, weirdly the new King James you'd think would be easier to understand. But I was like, this is like unintelligible. I don't know what they're saying. Uh-huh. Like with the King James, it's hard to know what they're saying, but whatever. And then I was like reading it on my phone. And um, it, at first I was sad to be away from my Bible, but it sort of like was nice to like demystify the, the process of like, oh, like there's a Bible on my phone. There's like a shelf of them at Goodwill. Yeah. And like, I can just do this whichever way I want. Like it doesn't really matter or something. Okay. Does that make yeah. sense? That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, I feel like you saying that actually just gave me a really like scary feeling in my heart because I don't know what I will do if I lose this Bible. Like I will be so sad and upset and I will like, I don't know what I'll do. And so it, it you saying that has actually renewed my, the mystique of my Bible oh, actually, because Reverse I, effect. yeah, because I don't want to lose it. And I was also thinking today, I knew you had lost, well, you didn't lose yours, but yeah. you know where it is, but you're, you've been separated from your Bible. Yes. I'm like, I don't want to be separated from my Bible, but also like it's going to be really hard not to be kind of because it's, I've never been reading a one book for like a year, you know, like it's hard to keep track of something it really like books get lost. Like, what if I leave it on? Like, what if I left it on an airplane? Like, what if I, I mean, nothing's going to happen because I keep my Bible at home, but like it, it, you losing, you being separated from your Bible made me aware of the risk of being separated from mine, which I didn't ever think about. It's, I wonder I feel like we're our reactions are so different because I throughout my life have had so many Bibles. Yeah, and like probably have never just off the top of my head, I can specifically remember four different Bibles like I owned as a youth adolescent. So maybe yeah. that's also why I'm kind of like feeling empowered by like the distance from I don't even know. I don't know if this makes any sense. But the other thing I was no, gonna it say, makes sense to me. I could I can imagine going one of two ways. And I think yeah. you're going one way and I'm going this way where it's like I over my dead body will I be separated from my Bible. Over my yeah. dead body will I read from another Bible. I was like deep sort of like deconstructing everything by like using my phone, using this other translation, and then like my mom had to take pictures of the notes mm. I took and send them to me. And then I had to take notes in a new notebook that I don't really like. And then I was stressed out. And then I was like, no, it's kind of cool. Like I'm sort of like cobbling this together. And I mean, that's what we're doing essentially on this podcast yeah. anyways. But I'm thought, proud of you for doing that. Thank you. Yeah, it was a it was a weird week, but um, really good. And I liked for Samuel. And I, what I was going to say about it is I felt like seen in for Samuel in some type of way. Like there were a few characters and one specific one that was a very small character that I was like, this feels like, like I can relate to you more strongly. Well, parts of Saul, I like, like really fuck with. And Saul is like probably, I think the most complicated character we've encountered besides God. Yeah. Saul is really complicated. This is funny because I have, um, I started to see Saul as this particular actor, which, (gasps) Um, I want to tell you who it is, but I'm going to tell you a little I, bit later, but for, later, okay. Yeah. So basically we're talking about these characters in this book. And I think we should say that first Samuel is 
a book that is essentially like one long story. And there are three, I would say, main characters of First mm-hmm. Samuel, which are Samuel, Saul, and David. Yes. First Samuel is long. I also want to say saying First Samuel to me feels so Bible. Like it feels like Christian. Like Deuteronomy, yeah. saying the word Deuteronomy yeah. feels Christian in one certain way and saying First Samuel feels really Christian. I think because I would have never said First Samuel. When I see in my Bible and I look in, like I took a contact, I took a clue from you. I would have said one Samuel or like oh. Samuel or Samuel one. But because you, I heard you say it first and you said first Samuel. And then it clicked into my mind where I have heard people say things like first Samuel, first Corinthians. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a Bible thing. That's how you say that. Oh, that's so, so funny. Saying first Samuel itself is already makes me feel, that's one of the things that makes me feel empowered. I think that first Samuel, the reason that I'm, it's, it's a weird thing. It's not like empowering. It makes me feel like I can play the part of a Christian just as well as a Christian. It's and like you're it learning me, the lingo so you can yeah. take, make it until you make it with the right words. Yeah. With first Samuel, that book specifically feels like a tool that I have in my pocket where I'm like, I, it's like this, it's almost, it's kind of sick. It's kind of like, I want to be a better Christian than the Christians and yeah. still not be a Christian. First Samuel you know? is like your little weapon. It's, it is. It feels, it feels like, it feels kind of, um, I feel greedy with it. Like, I'm like, I, I can, that. and like, I'm going to interpret this. Like, I know the lessons in first Samuel. They're like lessons. Anyway, sorry. That was just my little spiel no, about no, my, I think that's really interesting. my little evil way that I love first Samuel. But, um, so the book, there are three main characters. And the first character that's going to come up is Samuel. Samuel. And you have these little origin stories for each person, but Samuel kind of ties everyone together. The book begins by talking about a man. Well, it begins with the word now, which I also love in Bible world, like how a lot of stories just say, now there was a man. And I just uh, think it's such a nice way to start. Sounds a story, like but, a tale. And so there's a man called Elkanah and he has two wives. And apparently he just seems like kind of just a random guy. His two wives are named Hannah and Peninnah, which I love. I do like that too. Like, I feel like we're Hannah and Peninnah and you're Peninnah. I'm, well, duh. There's just no question, which makes me kind of upset. But yeah, Hannah and Peninnah are Elkanah's wives. They're his wives, but they're not sisters, are they? I don't think so. They're just his wives. And he doesn't really matter. He doesn't really matter so much, but no. he, she just can't have a baby. And she's in. Israelite. Hannah has no babies. Can't yeah. yeah. Hannah can't have a baby. And she goes to the temple and she prays sorrowfully for one, for a baby. And there's kind of this little funny comedy of errors that yeah. I love because <laughs> there's a priest named Eli who he thinks Hannah is drunk just because she's whisper. She's kind of moving her lips while she prays, but she's praying in her heart, but she's moving her lips in this way where Eli thinks she's drunk. And he goes, are you drunk? And she's yeah. like, no, I'm sad. And he's like, oh, okay. And then that's kind of like the end of that moment. Then he, they go on as normal. He, but she, then he's the like, oh, I priest, understand. Does the priest say she's going to have a baby? The priest or God is like, you will have a baby. And then even though you're barren and then she gets pregnant and has Samuel. Yes, the titular Samuel of for Samuel. And she she has this baby and she's so happy. She weans him and she takes him to Shiloh, which is where that temple was, where she went. And the priest Eli is still there. And she gives him, she lends him, is the language that is used, to the Lord for his whole life. And so she just drops this baby off at the temple. Oh, she does a really cool prayer to the Lord where she honestly makes the Lord sound a lot cooler than I've heard of him sound. I was I was two. also like before the prayer though, I, there was one thing I really liked that um it said she gave her son suck. And that was like to mean she was like breastfeeding. Feeding him. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um the prayer is really cool and it, it's in chapter two. And it yeah, it makes the the Lord sound pretty cool I also thought the prayer was interesting because it's again it reminded me of the what we've been talking about a lot which is like the blessing and the curse like part of the prayer says the Lord kills and makes alive so it's like there's yeah. a strong focus on these like poles like the you know the blessing of life but also like the curse of he can like at his whim kill you so I thought that yeah. was kind of an interesting like he... weaving in then there's this I like this part is I liked especially and I felt like it was like such poetry but Chapter two, verse nine, it's like, he will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces out of heaven. Shall he thunder upon them? The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. 
it's just her priest her prayer is very cool and it made yeah. me the lord great intro it feels like a kind of a good blurb on the back of the book like totally. this is what hannah says about the yeah, lord yeah yeah so anyway and so eli this priest is not an israelite there's right he doesn't or he's know. not he's somehow a priest but at the same time not he doesn't really count with the israelites or something there's a yeah and going forward in this book there is i personally felt confused sometimes about like who the fuck is the israelite and who's not so yeah i think that eli maybe is not technically because there are people going there to give sacrifices to the lord i'm kind of thinking there are different kinds of religious different religions people bringing offerings and so eli is doing something bad where he's taking of the offerings and he, so he and his sons are kind of like eating the food and taking what's offered and like eating the food that's being offered to the Lord and kind of taking their little part. And it keeps saying his sons do evil and his sons also sleep with Israelite women. There was just a whole section about the, the like corruption that Eli was doing. And it was something about like them, like the, the three hung, fl- three pronged flesh hook and like they're taking meat that's being sacrificed or something yeah. for themselves. Yeah. Was, I was personally kind of confused, but Eli's doing some fucked up shit. It's like bad priest. Yeah. Like I can imagine like a, a, can't you imagine like an HBO show? Or I guess there was one that was like young Pope, but this is like bad priest. Was the young Pope like, like naughty? I don't know. It's, there was oh, like but, a Jude Yeah, it's like a naughty. Pope, like, can't you see like a naughty priest show? Naughty, sexy Eli priest. Um, yeah. And so. Samuel's there this whole time and he appears to be like a child preacher, okay, I think, which so is cute. amazing. It's and, really in, cute. In verse 219, it says that his mother made him a little coat because he's like a little priest. I know. And that's every, so cute. Yes. I was obsessed with the little coat. Like each year, each year she brings him a new little coat. And so Samuel's sweet. just preaching. I also feel like a child preacher is something that would happen like in the country, like in Mississippi. Can't you imagine like Oh, totally. It's like a Don't, very country. That, I bet that has. Oh, there's definitely, definitely child preachers. Yeah. Like, and it's kind of like a sideshow thing. Like, that's how they get the attraction. Like, everyone wants to come far and wide to see the child preacher. It kind of reminds me of that kid who pretended he was a doctor. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. And like, then he like went to like ju- juvie, even though he was like 15 or 14 and was like pretending to be a doctor. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Well, I'll find it and send it to everyone. Thank you. Um, yeah. <clears throat> from. So Samuel is living it up. He's preaching. He's getting a new little coat from his mom every single year. And Eli is mad at his sons and God is mad at Eli and his sons. And I think it like what happens is Eli starts to suspect that something bad is going to happen to him. And it's weird because the priests, like they want to support the Israelites, but I don't think that they are Israelites because he thinks Eli begins to think he's going to um, be punished. And one of those reasons is a man of God comes to the temple and says to Eli, he's like, did my God take you out of Egypt? Then why are you taking the offering for yourself? And he, this man of God tells him the Lord is going to kill you and your sons. Yeah. I, something I really liked in verse 33, he says that you will, you will die in the flower of your life, meaning like the prime of your life. I just thought that was very pretty, but it, I don't really get why I Eli's don't here. I think Eli's. I think Eli's here to sort of like introduce us to Samuel being like this little priest and this little sort of like good guy. Weird. But it feels kind cool. of like a little bit irrelevant to the rest of the book, if I'm being honest. Yeah. 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 Eli. It's hard to know, and it's we're probably not understanding the structure of society at that time because it's like he. How could he be a priest and also not be an Israelite? I, I'm not sure, but he's there, and Eli seems like pretty nice. He just seems like kind of fucked because yeah. that doesn't seem like a good position to be in working in a temple and you're not and it like Israelite and you don't follow that God or whatever. Samuel in chapter three, Samuel is oh. still ministering. He's still a child. And um, in ver- chapter three is when Samuel is laying down to sleep one night and God calls to him and says, Samuel, and Samuel gets up and goes to Eli and he's like, Hey, what's up? You called me. And Eli's like, no, I didn't call you like go to bed. And at this point, like it, notes that Eli is like blind so I guess I don't know why that's so important but or maybe it's not never mind interesting well I mean it must be relevant if it's in this book I guess guess. but yeah so Samuel like goes he's like hey what do you need and he's like no nothing I didn't call you go to sleep and then Samuel again lays down his rest and he hears the voice Samuel and he thinks it's Eli again he goes back a second time and Eli's like no it's not it's nothing go to lay down and then Eli realizes he's like oh Samuel it's God that's trying to get in contact Mm -hmm. with Samuel and he's like 
And Samuel just doesn't, Samuel, this is really interesting because Samuel like didn't know the concept of God somehow. I don't know. Or maybe he didn't understand that he could be like called upon in that way by God. Yeah. Because there's something where he didn't, he didn't know that it was God and it didn't seem like a possibility to Samuel. And so Eli has, Eli basically convinces him. He's like, if you hear this voice again, say, I'm listening, I'm here and God, and the Lord is going to speak to you. And Samuel's like, okay, whatever. And then, yeah. and then the, the God comes and he's like to Samuel and he says that he's going to judge the house of Eli and says like something that I thought was pretty intense was that um, he says that the, the sins of Eli and his like lineage can never be purged with offering so basically like Eli is kind of fucked yeah um, he's like going he, he's just screwed he, even if he does an offering even if he like sacrifice something it's like sorry dude like you, that's not enough yeah um and then Samuel like tells Eli what God told him and I so feel like Samuel- Sam Samuel's kind of his like protege maybe but like yeah. it's weird because Eli's like also fucked up I don't know yeah but so Samuel is now a prophet basically God speaks to Samuel and that's great. There's a prophet. And um, he is there to make sure I liked this language that none of the Lord's words fall to the ground. Yeah. So I thought that was beautiful. Like the idea of a prophet being one who catches catching the, the words. words that's of so God. pretty. Yeah. And all of Israel somehow comes to know that Samuel is a prophet. Then we're in chapter four. Chapter four. And the Philistines again are they're just in constant battle. With the Israelites. With the Israelites. Or I mean, the Israelites. And sort of with other people. Yeah, I feel like what I didn't expect about the Bible and this chapter kind of made me realize is I always, I guess, expected that there was a period of time where everyone was a Christian and it was kind of just peaceful, you know, but it seems like throughout so far, there's always just been fighting and not everyone. It's interesting because I always imagine just the Bible like stories about all these people who are Christians and it was about to me, the Bible was more a book about like when everyone used to be Christians. And because I just didn't know really what the Bible was, you know? Yeah. And looking back now reading it, I'm like, oh, I assumed it was a book that was kind of like, hey, during this prior time, everyone was Christians and here are stories about them. But, but it's, it's not like really not the case at all. No. And it's also like, as we will see at some point in this book, like confusing how like the chosen people are like sort of crossing over with like, I don't know, the heathens, the non-chosen people. But when I was reading this book, I, I was like, this is a book about like betrayal and war. And or at least I thought it was like kind of, kind of homoerotic. Oh, and, like, me too, for all sure. These, all these things that I uh, was like, that's so weird to think that I'm describing the Bible in this way. I was like, it's a, it's a game of cat and mouse. Like all yeah. these really kind of like cliche descriptors of that I would, you know, usually like refer to like a film. Yeah, some kind of like popular movie. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, it's weird that this this book has it all. Yeah, this book has it all. First Samuel has it all. That's that's so true. Like it has more than I even expected. Like there is a very sexy like gay love story. Yeah, there's like a few like pretty like gay things. Anyways, so loving First Samuel. Uh, Israel is like Israelites are fighting the Philistines and they're like kind of getting screwed over. They lose. Yeah. The end. Oh, and they are smitten by the Philistines and the Philistines. This is so classic, like saved by the bell kind of plot. The Philistines steal the Ark of the Covenant. And that is like, that. I was, I was truly like, oh my God, like you guys should not have done that. It's like, you know, in um, Saved by the Bell or some show about high schools where somebody steals the other one's mascot. Totally. It's straight up that. It's also something I was, I'm confused and interested in like why the Ark of the Covenant is so important. And like, it's scary because it seems like whoever has it is like imbued with some kind of like power, but also like kind of a curse too. It's not um, good to have the Ark of the Covenant. It doesn't like, seem like it, especially if you aren't the right people. Yeah, it causes lots of problems. So Eli's sons are killed in this battle and the Ark is taken. And then when Eli hears that the Ark has been stolen from the Israelites, he falls from his seat and breaks his neck and dies. Oh my God. <laughs> like I that's love... how he dies. Yeah, he's just so he's surprised. Dead. He's so surprised that they took the covenant. Okay, and then so the Philistines have the Ark of the Covenant and they're like, hell yes. And they set it up 
in their kind of like garden of idols and they set it up next to an idol called Dagon. And Dagon is cool. Dagon seems cool. I imagine Dagon, well, probably just because it was one letter away from dragon as looking like a dragon, but- um, I did Google it. It's kind of like a- like a fish dragon like Ooh, water thing sort that's of. really cool and um, so every night the dagon idol is knocked over and destroyed and they're like uh oh like this thing is bad <laughs> you know and so then they really want to give it back but they don't know how i love this little story they're I like know. Oh, no and they're like well, how do but we they're give it back also they're also starting to get emeralds what are emeralds they're hemorrhoids <gasps> wait what so the people who have the ark of the covenant are <gasps> like the dagon is falling over but they're also being cursed with emeralds <gasps> which is in the king james translation and i googled it and they're fucking hemorrhoids oh my god Can you i need to start googling more stuff because i was like what are emeralds but like, maybe they're emeralds i don't know maybe i would cut nervous because i was like am i googling too much no i think it's good i think you need to follow your heart but yeah so they're all getting hemorrhoids they're getting hemorrhoids dagon and is dagon. falling over <laughs> Okay. And so they truly want to get rid of this arc as any of us would. And so, but they're like, oh my God, we don't know how to give it back. And so they're like, okay, okay, okay. I have a plan. We're going to put inside the arc an offering five, which love this to death, <laughs> five golden mice. And now I'm scared because then they says, and five golden emeralds. Yes. So I think basically they're taking, they're like taking a mold of their hemorrhoids. No. Yeah, wouldn't what how else would they make it? <laughs> that is, cannot be their offering. It's a so... mold of their hemorrhoids that they then cast in gold. So it's a no. box full of golden mice and golden hemorrhoids. No, yeah, I is... promise you. Oh my I promise fucking you. god. Okay, that's insane. Okay, can you just so... like also a golden hemorrhoid, like just Put in like a blob of gold. Like we don't, yeah, you know, it's no one, so... you can just call it a hemorrhoid. No one's going to know if you've like made a mold of it or not. Anyway, this hemorrhoid off your body. So anyway, wow. Okay. So then they also make this adorable decision where they're like, two cows are going to carry it. They aren't going to bring it back. And they basically put the Ark on the covenant. They like strap it to two cows. And they say, if these cows go to Israel, then it was God destroying Dagon. And if they don't go to Israel, it was just a coincidence. <laughs> and so they're kind of just like either sending they're the Ark like of the at Covenant. at the whim of these like random fucking cows. Two random cows, which is very um, childish. Okay. And so, so yeah, the cows walk to Israel or no, right. no, And then it's, then that proves that it was God who was in charge of all of this shit happening to them. And then they're like, oh no. And then now the, the Ark is in, Beth Shemesh. God kills several Israelites for looking inside the box. Yeah. Just like, okay, just one of God's little whimsies. And then um, Samuel starts to preach to the Israelites that if you return to God, you will be free of the Philistines. Like this will stop happening, you know? And Samuel prays for them. He offers a calf, all that stuff that God loves. And then the Philistines are coming again like to attack there's like so much battling happening in this yeah and israel is really scared because last time they were smitten by the philistines but this time samuel keeps praying as the philistines are approaching it's very dramatic cinematic he's crying out to the lord and the lord smites the philistines with thunder kills them with thunder and they put a stone there called ebenezer because That's I cute. don't know why, but it was cute because they just put a stone there to remember the Lord helped them there and they just named it Ebenezer. And I think that's really sweet. Um, and then I don't think I'm skipping home. I think this is next, but no. so then basically, okay. So Samuel has sons that he makes judges of Israel, but then the sons are like bad and make quote unquote perverted judgments. Um, mm -hmm. I'm in chapter they're, eight, by the way. They're crooked. They wanted money. And yeah. the Israelites hate them. And yes. they start begging Samuel to give them a king. Yes. They want a and king the, instead of judges now. And then Samuel's basically like, you don't want a king. Like, why would you want a king? Yeah. And then they're and, like, no, we want a king. <laughs> yeah. It's also really funny. It's like classic Israelites. Like um, Samuel is like, he tells them how bad the king will be. Like he's a prophet. And he's like, this king is going to be so bad. Like he's going to treat you like shit. He's going to take all your money. Like He's going to install captains that are going to fuck you over left yeah. and right. Like you do not want a king. And they're like, yeah, we do. They're like, no, we still want one. Yeah. They're like, give us the king. And so 
Samuel's like, okay, they asked for it. And God is kind of like doing God's thing. We're like, fine, I'll just say, I told, I told you so in the end. And so he's yeah. like going to give them a bad king. Then Saul is born. Saul is born. Is Saul like significantly younger than Samuel? Then he must be. Tell me more. Like you seem very connected with Saul. So I want, maybe this is a scene like it, right. Saul seems really great. Describe what the greatness about Saul. I mean, Saul is like not great though. I mean, he's like a piece of shit. Wait, I think at the beginning, like oh, at the beginning, the beginning of chapter nine. Yeah. They talk about how like he was because he's kind of chosen because he was like, he was well he was chosen partially because he was handsome and he was like really tall which i think is hilarious and that honestly is. so cool um i think that's a great way to pick a leader yeah he's um, handsome and tall but i thought he's also like isn't he strong or something yeah and so basically like his, his saul's father who was a man of benjamin is named kish and saul's dad sends him and a servant to look for some lost asses and at some point i love i love this uh they're like looking for these donkeys and saul says to the servant who's with him he's like come let us return lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us he's basically like let's go back before my i mean this is the way i was interpreting let's let's go back before my like father forgets about us sort of oh yeah right i read it as let's go back and let it's funny that we have these different interpretations. I read it as Saul saying, like, let's go back home and let him care about us for once instead of these asses. Oh, that's but probably I think, more accurate. I think that even, but when you just read it, I thought of a new, a new interpretation, which is that let's go back because it's reached a point where he's probably no longer worried about the asses, but he's worried about us and if we're safe. I like your interpretation better. My first one. Yeah. He's like, why don't we let, like, let him, let Kish care about us instead of the asses for once. So then Saul was like, let's go back. But the servant says, no, there's a man of God in this town. We need to find him. And the man is Samuel. And like, this feels like some archetypal movie plot line shit. You know, where it's like, they're on the journey. And then they like, come across this like, old crony person. And then like, towards the end of the movie, it's like, oh my God, that's actually the king. And he's just in disguise or like, just got old and like people forgot about him you know that kind of shit very movie it's very um they're like there's a man of god here and they run into some maidens drawing water who are like yeah he's here he came today to give a sacrifice like there's a man of god in town and then yeah it's samuel and it does feel very cinematic and it's like these two characters also who know who kind of are waiting for each other like it feels very faded oh this is what feels so it's um cinematic about it actually it's the reader knows more about each character than the characters know yeah. about each other yes yes, yes and yes, it yes, feels yes. like it's like that dramatic irony thing where it's like oh i know something you don't know as a reader i feel like this is the first story where this is something like that is happening yeah totally that we've read it's like everything has been more straightforward and like mm-hmm. the character we're like kind of on the same timeline and like in the same space as the characters yeah. but in this case it's like oh my god samuel's back and we know all these things about samuel that saul doesn't know you know yeah um totally and then and like god had told samuel that a man would come to him and the man is obviously saul and then samuel tells saul that he is an important person mm-hmm. and he's gonna basically. make he's gonna make him the captain yeah Samuel also just, he's like, I'm going to make you captain. You're a very important person. By the way, I also know the asses were found and he, but he's like, that doesn't matter anymore. Saul, you're being called on by Israel. And then Saul does the classic thing of being like, who would call on little old me? You know, like, oh, me, I'm the youngest guy in my house. And then like, it feels very Gideon just did that in judges. Like Gideon did the same exact thing. And so it's like fishing for compliments. It's like, yeah, oh my God, and it's begging Samuel. Job. Yeah, take the job. Like it's you, Saul. And so Samuel anoints Saul and he tells him, he presages that he's going to meet two men at Rachel's tomb and hear some other prophecies. And that kind of doesn't go anywhere as far as no, I can basically tell. like what I just wrote is like Samuel sends Saul on a mission. Yeah. And is like all these things will happen. And then all those things come true. And then Saul's like, okay, cool. Like now I believe yeah. you sort of yeah and Saul has made the official king of Israel after that yeah 
And so, um, okay. So I want to say now, I want to say I have actually a shocking casting decision for Saul. Oh my God. Yes. And it's gonna, I, I want you to open your mind because it's not who you think it's going to be. And it's Paul Giamatti. Okay. I'm blown away. Yeah. So I'm blown away. I need to know more about this. Okay. It's Paul Giamatti because I know that they're all saying, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a curveball casting and Uh it's more about where, where Saul goes on the rest of this journey. Okay, that you know makes what I mean? that's making because, sense. Because and the inspiration I'm drawing from is uh, actually the movie Big Fat Liar, starring Frankie Muniz, who I'm going to cast as David. Oh, I really like that. Ooh, now I want to think about who I would cast, but I'm going to think about it and maybe say it later or not say it at all. I just think that Saul becomes really complicated, and I think Paul Giamatti is really good at playing like really complicated characters who like can't get out of their own like anger and insecurity and like jealousy it would need I mean I think you'd have to be like an experienced great actor to play Saul because he is so complicated yeah like he is so interesting so anyway whatever Saul we can come back to casting Saul but I just wanted to keep your minds open no I really I'm really glad that you've like introduced that uh, for chapter 11, I just wrote, I don't care, dot, dot, oh. dot, Saul becomes king. I don't know. So I'm I not wrote, sure what's going on. I wrote something with cattle. Some tribe is trying <laughs> to mutiny. Yeah, so that's I think what's whatever. happening in chapter 11. And then in chapter 12, Saul starts chastising the Israelites and being like, please follow God with all your hearts. And at the beginning, Saul is like a leader. His problems really don't start for a little while but remember the lord did say like there's kind of this dark cloud over saul because the lord did say like this god this king is going to be like a shithead and he hasn't yet and so you know something is coming saul does something and he gets in trouble this is chapter 13 i wrote saul gets in trouble i couldn't really tell why and then he serves two years um he has served two years as king and he wants to fight the philistines and samuel shows up and he's like no, 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 no. And he's like, the Hebrews have no weapons and they're outnumbered. I also think first Samuel is the first time we have the word Hebrew instead of Israelite. Yes. I thought that was interesting. He's like, no, 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 Saul, Saul, you can't fight. And so it's kind of Saul starts to get in trouble because he is doing things that Samuel isn't approving of. And he's sort of like at this point, kind of like nudging Samuel and like going against him a bit. Yeah. And um, so Samuel's like, do not enter into a battle with them right now. And Saul's like, I'm doing it. And Saul's chapter 14, we meet Saul's son, Jonathan. Wait, 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 but something that I thought was so weird was there. So this is back in chapter 13. There's no black, the the Israelites don't have a blacksmith to like make and sharpen their weapons. Right. And then they basically go to the Philistines to get their stuff sharpened. Oh, I didn't know Though there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, "Less the but all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plow, share his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. Huh. So that was confusing. And I was like, wait a second. The Israelites' enemy is the Philistines. But based on that verse, it sounds like this Philistines are helping them, or basically they're using the Philistines' like facility to sharpen their weapons. And oh, this, I think it, I get it. And then when I kept reading throughout the book, I was like, oh, this is interesting because there becomes, there is a little bit more crossover with the Philistines. Yeah. What, what, what do you think? Well, I think what, I think what he's saying is that's the reason that they can't go into battle is because when they need to sharpen their weapons and they need to get weapons, they have to go to the Philistines. And if they are fighting with the Philistines, they're not going to have oh. access to, they won't have access to the weapons that they would need to fight them. Still kind like, of confusing to me confusing. though, because I was under the impression that they were just like mortal enemies. So it, based off of that, it seems like there's like this kind of flux of like when they're it's like at trade, odds and like when a, they're an not. economy. I guess that's like how countries today still work. Okay, this is a big scene. So Saul and them are like gathered. They're thinking about it. Whether are they, will they, won't they attack the Philistines? And Saul's son, Jonathan, who I just think is um, great. Jonathan he is decides, a sweetheart. But it, I think what he does here is kind of foolish, but whatever. He sneaks over, but it works out. He's like, fuck this. We're just, I'm going to do this. And Jonathan takes like one manservant or something with him. Like, and it seems like they're kind of friends and they sneak over to the Philistines and they're like, we're going to go over there and we're just going to sneak up on them and start attacking. But they do this, another thing, kind of like the cow situation where they're like, and this happens several times in this book. They're like, if this happens, it means this. And if this happens, it means this. So 
Jonathan goes over to the Philistines camp. They climb up between two really sharp rocks and the rocks have really funny names. Their names yeah. um, Bozes and Senna. And he, they sneak up between these rocks. And meanwhile, <laughs> Saul is busy tarrying by a pomegranate tree, which I also liked. Mm-hmm. Like King Saul, he's just faffing around by the pomegranate tree. And Jonathan goes over. He calls the Philistines these uncircumcised. They, but he says, okay, if the Philistines say, wait, we don't move. But if they say, come up when they see us, this is a sign we're in God's hand and everything will be okay. So they sneak up and the Philistines say, come up to us. And this is a quote. They say to Jonathan, come up to us and we will show you a thing. (laughs) It's like a little kid. Like, Um, we'll show you a thing. Come on over. And so they sneak in and they start the battle. I'm curious, how are they making these decisions? How are they? Who is (laughs) who is saying, okay, if this happens? it means this if this happens it means this other thing like is this god in their ear being like if the cattle go that way it means it's me or they just like these are like arbitrarily decided upon i think that what i think that what it kind of is is they need an answer and they don't have direct access to god like someone like samuel and so they create a kind of test kind of like gideon was like wet the fleece so i know you're with me but then that was like a miracle that sort of like God made. These things are like not really miracles. It just is like happenstance that maybe they were like the Philistines were co- telling them to come up. And I feel like I do stuff like that. Like, I mean, I definitely do too. But it's interesting because it seems kind of like separated from God I or think like if God's you're a true, will or something. I think if you're a true believer and you're following all the rules in this time and you send up something like that, like an intention where you're like, God, if you are with me, like, let make them do this. Maybe God is listening. So anyway, they, they get the sign, they come up, they get, go into battle and Israelites, they all see what's happening and they all join in and they win this battle. So the Israelites win this battle against the Philistines yes. and they, that's all good seemingly, but then Saul decides that no one's allowed to eat anything all day. Yeah, there's like this randomly introduced oath that Saul makes everyone take that says they like can't eat. And then all of a sudden there's a forest dripping with honey. That's like, come in and like eat me. Like so enticing. It sounds like. It sounds disgusting. It sounds disgusting, but you know, Jonathan, I guess was hungry. And, and he, he was hadn't, he hadn't heard the oath. He didn't know. And yeah. so he ate a bunch of honey. And then the Hebrews ransack the Philistine camp and they eat blood. Yeah, that was and this this the writing goes off the rails a little bit here. They eat blood. And of course, as we well know from many of the first books of the Old Testament, you can't eat any blood. God doesn't like that. And so Saul makes them do offerings to try to atone. And I just, it's over the top because they're just eating blood and honey. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so and It's gross. like eat food, guys. Like, I know. It's also like, there wasn't any, like in this forest of honey where there are no like plants or like, why are you eating the blood? Like, wouldn't you be eating the meat? Like, I know. Imagine like a meal of blood and honey. I know. Based off the writing, it sounds like they're just eating blood. Blood and honey. Yeah. And so they do that, whatever. And then- there's this moment where the Israelites, Jonathan's going to be going to die or something because he ate honey. Like they, he's, it's said that the Lord is going to punish him. And the people are like, what? No, like who would do that? They're like for eating a little honey. No. And the people like decide that Jonathan is not going to be killed. And I was just kind of like, is that allowed? Yeah. I, that was really weird. Um, they like make a decision and override God. And it, th- then it just goes, kind of- it was kind of cool though. I was like, oh, for once God is listening to the people and also like they seem to have some power that they didn't have before. So yeah, the, yeah. the, the people are like, don't kill Jonathan. So Jonathan doesn't die. And they also were like, hey, help defeat the Philistines. So like save him. And, they're, and I guess God's like, okay. Um, yeah, God listened and then finally. Saul basically assumes his position of power or maybe he already is i don't know what i wrote um and then there's just a lot of war 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 um in chapter 15 god is mad because he's like mad that he chose saul because he's not doing exactly what he says and samuel's crying like i just love samuel just keeps crying a lot in these chapters 
And then there's this really heavy handed lesson where the reason God is so mad at Saul, one of the reasons is they were supposed to destroy all this cattle, but instead of destroying it, Saul didn't destroy it and planned to, and God was like, what the fuck? I told you to destroy and these. The... And Saul was like, no, but we were going to give them to you as a sacrifice. And God says, <laughs> so full of shit. yeah, he's, he's potentially full of shit here anyway, but God like says it's such a straightforward lesson to obey is better than to sacrifice. So, oh yeah, this in my notes right here, I said, first Samuel makes you feel like I could be a pastor and it would be so goddamn easy to make up sermons and fun. (laughs) Like I wrote that in my notes. Also, this is the, I'm just saying this because it comes up again later, but like Saul and the Israelites fight the Amalekites and instead of destroying everything, take their cattle or their like, I wrote fat animals. I don't know if it says that, but, or if I just made that up. And, And so like, it's specifically that like God is mad at Saul because he didn't follow his rules exactly in regards to how that he was supposed to destroy everything of the Amalekites. Anyways, yeah. sorry, just trying to like make sure we know it's which group of people it is. And then Saul makes a monument to himself, which I thought was shocking. I didn't really know that. Wait, where it's in, I have this in, oh yeah, yeah. Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself. I mean, That's I don't so know what exactly that would look like, but I mean, maybe, I mean, in my mind, I was imagining like a statue of Saul and now I'm like, oh, it probably isn't something like that. Maybe it's, maybe a monument can also mean like just some type of like offering. I don't know. Anyways, yeah. I was confused. So he's in Carmel. He's in Carmel. 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 <laughs> I don't know. I said Carmel. I think it's Carmel. But anyway, this is interesting because, okay, I think he's around Carmel and the Lord is so pissed off. Saul is rejected and Israel, Samuel like makes this big show of it. Samuel rips apart. He takes the mantle off of Saul and rips it to indicate that like Israel itself is ripped apart by this horrible moment. And God is like, stop mourning to Samuel in chapter 16. He says, stop your mourning, stop your grieving. I've made a new King among Jesse's sons in Bethlehem. The Lord has not like, he is expressing regret that he made Saul king and this is already making Saul like pissy like Saul is sad and jealous but even though it's kind of Saul's fault like he wasn't being perfect but I think he just didn't realize like God really would just drop him and get a new king but I also think it's crazy that God is like like God can regret something yeah I mean at this point it makes sense but I'm like with this specific instance I was like what is the lesson here is there one I've been thinking about this today is that I think it's really interesting. I talked about this a little bit before, I think in another episode, but that God isn't perfect. And I think it is really interesting to think about God as just like, God behaves like a person. You know what I mean? It's kind of interesting to think of like, okay, in this storybook fantasy where like there is someone that's named God and he invents all the people and everything Mm -hmm. in the world. Of course, this is the case. Like, this isn't a new idea. I'm not like the first person to be thinking about this. I just am interested in this idea that he was like, just kind of a regular kind of, he's not like the smartest person. Like he just, he's just like a human kind of. Yeah. Like it'd be interesting. It's like if you decided to invent people. I know. I think, I think I'm just going through this process of sort of like deconstructing and reconstructing my concept and idea of God. And like, I'm sure things will, changed like in the new testament but i i'm still just like wait what like i don't it's so confusing to me that like the all-powerful god makes Saul king and then be like fuck like i wish i didn't do that yeah like regret his decision it's like wait what he is so human it's interesting it is interesting and it's kind of it's like funny it's like he's just like it's like the idea of like the the people in charge are idiots too like you know the whole thing yeah yeah you get it anyways chapter 16 Chapter 16, Saul's getting jealous. There's a cool scene in it. Wait, what is the scene? All I wrote was the scene is cool. Um, <laughs> and like, I need some information, Courtney. Chapter 16. So Sam, so God is sending Samuel to Bethlehem. And Samuel's scared that if he goes, Saul will kill him. And God says, take a heifer with you. And I will tell you who to anoint. And I put in parentheses, oh, yeah. Jesse's this is the son. Scene. I kind of, I mean, I thought this was funny, but I also kind of like it. So in verse seven, so he's like, go bring the heifer and I'll tell you who to anoint. And then 
And then God says to Samuel, and don't assume it's the tall, hot one, basically. <laughs> yeah. In the verse, it says, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Before that, he's kind of basically saying, like, it's not going to be like the hot guy. Yeah, it's not who you I think. Love. Uh, yeah, I love the scene because he's very much like, it's not who you think. And then he makes him parade his sons, uh, like seven and sons. And these are Jesse's sons. Is this that, the first yeah. time we're seeing Jesse? Um, yeah. Uh, Samuel, God just announced to Samuel that there was a man named Jesse in Bethlehem and one of his sons was going to be the next king. So Samuel sent to like, and he, you know, God knows who it is, but Samuel has to go through the whole charade. And so they have like his seven sons go by and I love the beauty pageant aspect of it. Oh like, my God. like imagine being one of those sons, like trying to get chosen, like yeah. walking across. And like just trying to sparkle a little, and like wearing um, your like nicest outfit, your nicest outfit. You're like standing up so straight. It's also very Cinderella because then all the sons pass by, and then oh my God, it's like course. there's actually another son, but he's out in the field. Like so, he comes in, and I'm imagining him like kind of like dirty with like some hair yeah. sticking out of his hair, but he's hey. like gorgeous. Um, and they're and they're like it's him, yeah, and that's like, David, the and they anoint him with oil from a horn or something like that. King David. King David. My note for chapter 13 was just King David in all caps and then tons of exclamation points. Mine too. Well, it didn't okay. say, it just said uh, they anoint him with oil from the horn and it's dot, 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 David, David. all caps. Yeah. That's really how it feels. It's like King David. Yeah. And then chapter 14, love is uh, an evil spirit is sent to Saul. This and is so cool. It's so cool. Okay. And so like David, I guess immediately is like kind of living with Saul and Saul is still kind of acting as the king so it's a really complicated like full house of this characters is also really this is where it's starting to feel kind of gay it's for me it's starting to feel so okay yeah so basically there's like a spirit that is like coming over Saul that's like an evil spirit and at yeah. some point in the book it says an evil spirit from the Lord so I'm like yeah I don't know scary what the fuck that means the lord is and, sending a demon and then saul is like i need someone to play the lyre to like keep the spirit at bay yeah so and like apparently david's good at the lyre i don't know how do you say that well in this it's a harp but the uh, lyre and the one i'm reading it said i think i can't wait to get my, oh my god i can't wait to get my book back but um, um yeah a lyre and a harp are but then so know. david is sent and he becomes an armor bearer to saul and then whenever the evil spirit like comes upon Saul, he'll like play the harp for him. And like, yeah, it is, it just, this is where it's, I, I had like my first little twinkle of like gay. I'm like, this is like an old gay man with his little like twink playing the harp in his bedroom. I don't know. It's not gross that I thought about that. No, I think of it. Well, I mean, I'm seeing Paul Giamatti and I'm seeing like my interpretation is just different. And so mine is like Paul Giamatti, like slumped over in a chair and like the evil spirit is holding him down. And literally Frankie Muniz is performing an exorcism by harp. And I thought, I thought of it as an exorcism, like, and I like yours too. I could see a sexy version of it. Like, oh, you know, who could be good. It would be, it um, just feels like porny or something. Yeah. Phantom thread. (laughs) What's his name? Daniel Day Lewis. Wait. Saul. Wait. Oh my God. That is so funny that you said and that because Saul. that was the first person when we were talking earlier. I was like, I was going to say Daniel Day Lewis, but yeah, I was Daniel. scared too because I think maybe he's too serious. It's two very different movies. Yes. But the Daniel Day Lewis movie. In the sexy is hot. one. Oh, yeah. In yeah. the hot one, it's Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. Um, okay. So he's getting exorcisms by harp by David. And it's sexy, beautiful, it's cool. It's like, yeah, in my notes, I'm just like sexy, gorgeous, beautiful, fresh. Like it feels so refreshing, something mm-hmm. about the space. Like there's this harp and there's this evil spirit and there's these two and men. Like, and I imagine then, there being like a breeze. And, yeah, yeah. The, the idea of this harp music soothing and calming the demon is just so perfect. And then really strange. chapter 17, one of the money shots of the Bible, um, um, we meet yeah. a Philistine. You may know him as Goliath, and uh, I just wish I knew how big a cubit was because he's some <laughs> amount of cubits tall, and that sounds really tall. I know they but, they were in the text. It says like Goliath stands at like whatever whatever cubit, and it's like I'm like could be an inch. If you hadn't read, if you didn't know the story of David and Goliath prior, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily know how t- oh, like, right. he was a giant. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I wouldn't. I guess they go on to talk about how he's like huge. Oh my God. And also when Goliath is there, this is a detail that I'm 
quite simply obsessed with is David wasn't even there at the beginning of this of this battle because he was doing what? Delivering cheese. Wait, it was cheese? He was delivering cheese oh to God. someone. Like, okay. David almost also, missed the battle of David and Goliath because he was out delivering cheese. David, I love David, but also he's he's like almost like sickeningly sweet you know i think I mean? that's my thing with david i want yeah. to maintain your a sexual fantasy of david but for me he's not, i hate him because i think he's like a nerd yeah and he's kind of like a brown noser a little like yeah. weeby bitch but i still like yeah there could be could a sexy be kind of cute, he can have know? a sexy moment like um, but i just think of him as kind of like a little shitty brat yeah and like, like a little like shrewy kind of, kind of freak yeah <laughs> oh my god <laughs> like being so mean yeah i mean a but i really don't like david freak. no i don't either okay so but anyway, he gets done delivering cheese and he they, he comes back and they're trying to figure out which of the Israelites is going to go against Goliath because the deal is the Philistines say, if anyone, it's going to be one versus one who, and yeah. our person is Goliath. So whoever you have, and they didn't and have they any say, armor. They're like, the Philistines are like, if you kill Goliath, like we will be your servants. So it's like, yeah. oh, you kill one person and we surrender. Yeah. And so David's like, I'm going to do it and whatever. He doesn't have any armor. He's tiny, Frankie Muniz. He has, and all he has is five stones in a sack and a slingshot. And Goliath does some shit talking here. He's like, what am I, a dog? You think you're going to be able to defeat me? Like, what do you think I am? Just a little dog or something like that. So anyway, David pulls back that slingshot with one little stone and he lets it loose and it flings and yeah, it like lodges um. into his head and... And then he cuts off yeah. his head and takes Goliath's head to Jerusalem. Yeah. And there's that really famous painting of uh, David with Goliath's head that I don't know who painted it, but you know what I'm talking about? No. No. Anyways. Um, but you should find out about it. And Oh, yeah. Maybe I'll post that on Instagram or something. Um, um, oh, wait. So chapter 18, I'm mm -hmm. not sure where we're at totally, but my first note is Jonathan. Is Jonathan gay? <laughs> My note is for chapter 18, my entire note is Saul adopts David and he and Jonathan start dating, LOL. Oh, wait. Okay, so at the beginning, it says, now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So like Jonathan and David are like in, They're in love. love. They're in gay love. They start dating um, immediately. Yeah, so Jonathan and David are dating. David is like successful and gets a high rank. What else oh happens God. in 18? Uh, I love 18, 17. So the women in town start singing this little song about how David's or Saul killed hundreds, but David kills thousands or whatever. And, yeah. and the wording of this was Saul begins to eye David. And it's just like it the also, most. Just, it's like a cartoon. It's so, it's like, I'm beginning to eye him. And so David doesn't notice, however. And then one day while Saul is making David play harp for him to try to soothe the demons, Saul just tries to javelin him. Yeah, like he like throws a javelin or something and tries to kill him yeah yeah then like it goes on for a little while that that happens a couple of times well, i don't know what and, david and also around. like maybe this isn't that important but like saul wants david to marry his daughter which is but it's a weird. trick of some sort it's a trick of some sort and then david's like no i'm not gonna and then saul's like if you kill a bunch of people, I think David's like, I don't like deserve it or something. Saul says, bring me a, a hundred Philistine foreskins and then you can have my daughter. And David's like, okay, that's a deal. Anyways, I, think I don't it's, know. It's because he doesn't have a dowry. That's what he's saying. He's like, oh, I don't deserve to marry your daughter because I don't have a dowry. And he says, instead of a dowry, bring me a hundred foreskins. And it's like, ew, like instead of anything, he just, Saul wants a hundred foreskins. And then David gets them, I guess. I don't remember. I, don't I think he, I kind of. I, think I feel like I'm just gonna edit this out. I hate this part anyway. About um, the foreskins? I don't know. Maybe. Okay, we're gonna start rocketing through some shit because we need to speed things along. This book is really good, and this it is, is really this book good. being good. But I'm sorry, we don't have time to. This is what I mean. Like we're in charge of the Bible. Isn't this is exactly what I was saying? It was like the Bible is not going to get the best of me. Yeah. I'm in charge. I'm the preacher. Are we in chapter 19? Um, yeah, just Saul becomes David's enemy continually, which I yes. like that language. This is the beginning cool. of like the kind of cat and mouse. Yes. Saul is constantly trying to kill David. David is constantly evading Saul. 
Yes, um, just in the and like, nick of time. In 19, Saul tries to get Jonathan to kill David. Jo- Jonathan but, is his son, but Jonathan's like, no, no, no. He won't. He's in love with David. He's and then later in 19, there's the evil spirit again. There's mm-hmm. a javelin again. Saul throws a javelin. David's playing the harp. I love the motif. I love that we keep coming back to this moment, but I do have yeah. to question David's acuity, like his mental wherewithal, because he does not need to continue playing harp because this man keeps trying to kill him with a javelin while he's yeah, playing harp, but he keeps going back. Yeah, I mean, it's like, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, yeah. you know, that kind of shit. It's, it's like, like David, David like, get out of the room with the harp. Yeah, and um, one, that, there's another little escape, uh, classique, which is somebody like helps by one night Saul's going to try to get David and then they put um, a pillow and goat's hair in the bed yeah, to look like David so, so that he could escape. I, in my, what I read, it said an idol. Oh, I read a pillow and goat's hair. Let me but, see. Um, it doesn't matter. But I love that they use like goat's hair and then they come in and they're like, oh, it's not David. It's I guess David's sleeping. It's like, oh wait, that trick originated in the Bible? Holy shit. Yes, that's um, amazing. And so for chapter 19, I also wrote like, at this point, Saul has completely lost his mind. Like he's, yeah. he's kind of been on a downward spiral for a while. He's been unwell, but this is the moment where you're like, he's become a really crazy tyrant and he's fully obsessed with killing David. Oh, so in chapter 20, I kind of like, I think this is a pretty interesting story. So like- I do too. Um, basically, John, David goes back to Jonathan and Jonathan is like, he, Saul is going to kill you. Like he is like a crazy freak. He's going to kill you. And there is something called like the new moon feast. Is that what it said in <gasps> your Bible? That. But I know that there was kind of, there was kind of the vibe of a festive, there was a party going on, right? Yeah, and, and then basically- David was like, I'm going to be absent at the dinner at this feast or whatever. And to Jonathan, he's like, Jonathan, you need to like gauge his reaction to my absence. And that will help me know if he wants to kill me. And then they have this weird plan that I also think is kind of hot. Where like, it's hot. If Jonathan thinks Saul is actually going to kill David, well, regardless of what he thinks, he's going to shoot arrows into a field. And if the arrows like go beyond, the rock it means Saul is gonna kill him and if they don't I was a bit confused about the this logistics one? but it's okay. something about like depending on what the arrows do it's gonna be assigned to David whether or not Saul yeah is going to kill him David hides he hides because he's being absent from this party after three days that this is the plan Jonathan is going to shoot three arrows into a rock if he sends his servant to pull them out it's okay and it's safe for David to come back. But if he leaves those arrows there and no one comes to get them, David needs to run away because it's not safe. So it's like Jonathan communicating with him. Yeah. And then they have like, I feel like they sneak together and have this like really sad goodbye. And he's like, I will always love you. And it felt to me like a very sexy, hot, like Troy Sivan kind of song. Oh yeah. And so, yeah. Cause so Saul is super pissed. So Jonathan does the arrow thing and like, does it in a way that indicates that Saul is going to kill David. So like David like bows to Jonathan and they weep together. And it says that David weeps the most and they kiss. And yeah, it's like, hot. it's so hot. Gorgeous. Who would you cast as Jonathan? Um, this is where like, David has to be cuter than Frankie Muniz. No offense. Because yeah, I know, so I know, I know, I know. I kind of want to cast perfume genius. Mike Hadrius as one of these. I love him as jo- Jonathan. Yeah. Or David. Yeah, he could be. Um, he could play either of them. I kind of like. I mean, whatever. I'll think of it. Um, L. Fanning. Wait, actually, that would be really <laughs> cool. What if it's L. and Dakota Fanning play? Remember, Jonathan? like L. Fanning playing every character. Yeah, for like um, five years. Okay, so, so David anyway. is like has to go because he's like Saul's gonna kill me, and then chapter twenty-one, David goes to Nob. Yeah, and some to Ahimelech. Have- in Nob, but he goes to Nob and meets Ahimelech the priest and Ahimelech is like why are you alone and then David wants bread and then there's this confusing thing about bread where like it's honestly not important but it's something about like the way I read it is like if you I've had sex or something you can't eat this bread (laughs) (laughs) did you get that at all no no I didn't but I like that I would I think it's cool that's a cool idea it's like if you've had sex you can't have this bread let's just just let's just leave it at that I think let's leave it it at that if there's this bread there if you've had sex you can't eat it and then um and then David asks for a weapon and they give him Goliath's sword which also this feels like some cinematic shit too yes 
Totally. And I'm like absolutely lost right now. I'm looking at my notes, but I'm okay. At, at chapter 10. chapter 23, I think that the next thing for me, like it kind of just was like a soup of like Bible stuff. Like here's bread. You can't eat it if you had sex. And like somebody's ruthless, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I, again, I was grounded. They're in this place called Kila and Saul finds out that that's where David is and David and the couple of people that are like now helping him hide out. So Saul gathers all his people to like besiege them and they, and they surround the city called Kila and um, the Lord like tells David what's going to happen. David escapes and, and he goes into the wilderness of Ziph and he's in the wilderness of Ziph and Jonathan comes and like meets him secretly. And he's like, one day you will be king. He like tells James, Jonathan tells David, David, one day you will be king. And he's like, I want to make a covenant with you. And they make this secret covenant. And I just love them in that moment. And then he's hiding out in Ziph. And there's so, but yeah, basically like Saul just keeps like chasing David and trying to kill him. And at this point I was like, the bit is done. It's the bit old. was over. I'm bored of Saul. At one point, David confronts Saul and Saul's like, you're right. I'm like a piece of shit. I'm not going to kill you. I feel so bad. And then like two pages later, he's like chasing David again. And then yeah. at one point, like David and his men are hiding in a cave and Saul goes in, in the cave. And then David like secretly cuts off a piece of his robe, of Saul's yeah. robe. And then Saul leaves the cave. David comes out and is like, I cut off your robe, but I didn't kill you. I could have killed you. Like yeah. I spared you. Isn't that great? And then Saul's like, again, is like, oh, I feel bad. And then makes an oath not to kill David. Saul is crazy. Saul is crazy. Like he doesn't- But I kind of like him. I kind of like that he's just like such a psycho. Saul can't, he, he's his own worst enemy. Like he can't- He just um, seems like really insecure. And he like hates that David is like cooler than him. And like maybe yeah. like- Younger, Younger, hotter, hotter you know. Um, okay. And then in there's a story about Nabal and Abigail, which like, I just think we should skip over it. Like it's Please. like, it's so I feel boring. empowered- I feel empowered by this point. Like, I feel like a preacher. I don't think we need to discuss this today. If we ever did need to, could I deliver a sermon on it? Yes, I could easily. You have the notes. But I'm not, but I'm not going to. And so then in chapter 26, love this to death. He comes upon, so Saul comes again to do the deed and they call it the deed, which is him trying to kill David. He comes again to do the deed, finds him somewhere. And the Lord is always trying to protect David and so he gives Saul's people he puts them in a deep sleep like, like out in this field and he makes them all sleep super super deeply to deliver them into David's hand and David is like no God will deal with them I'm not gonna like kill these people it's fine and it just made me really jealous like I want a deep sleep from the Lord oh, I know it sounded so nice you know? but during the sleep did you already say this D David steals like Saul's jug and spear oh, and I then yeah and then in the morning he's like I could have killed you again but I didn't and then like Saul's like, oh yeah, shit, the you're charade. right. I'm a piece of shit again. It's like this back and forth. It's so boring. The charade you know? all over again. Oh, yeah. oh my God. We forgot to say in chapter 25, this is important. Samuel dies. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so Samuel's dead. Yeah. And um, there's this interesting moment. This story isn't that interesting to me at the end of this, where he's like, David escapes and he's living with the Philistines in this kind of Philistine community. And Ashish is the leader of this community and he assumes that when they fight the Israelites that David is going to fight with him and David is like no I'm not going to fight against the Israelites and so he kind of lets them go but this Saul was is weird it's weird I was like wait what the fuck all of a sudden David is like with the Philistines this he's was living so in Philistine he's living in Philistine territory and like it is really weird I mean and it so makes sense in the way that like David and Saul are adversaries so like maybe David like some find some allyship with the Philistines because they yeah. also hate Saul but I was yeah. a bit like thrown at this point a yeah me too I was less invested in that element of this and like Saul is coming closer to them and then Saul has banished all of the um like wizards and necromancers and all of these like witches and people out of Israel but now he needs one and so he finds a woman with a familiar spirit and um she's like he disguises himself. He's like, I'm not King Saul. Cause she's like, okay. Cause this is illegal. Like I can't do this. And he's like, well, I'm not King Saul. It's fine. And then like he lies and she brings up Samuel's spirit, the ghost of Samuel and the ghost of Samuel tells Saul, he and his sons are going to die in that battle. And it's just a moment of like, stop, look and listen for me because it's like, there are witches in this Bible. There are people calling up spirits. There are ghosts that are talking. 
you know? Yeah, it's like all of a sudden we're in fucking Star Wars. Like it yeah. says that the ghost like rises from the earth. Also, mm-hmm. Samuel's first reaction is that he's like annoyed. He's like, why are you bothering me? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, okay, but now that I'm here, like, yeah, you're going to die in this battle. You're going to die. And I'm like, excuse me? Like you can call upon a ghost? A real twist. Well, I'll just say the last thing that happens for me is they go into this battle. David is dismissed. Ashish is kind of like, okay, I can't trust you to help me fight against the Israelites. You're dismissed. The Israelites and the Philistines have a battle and the Philistines win. And that's the end. And it's very to be continued kind of moment. So yeah, that's it. We're left in this moment to be continued. It's but very also dramatic. Saul, Saul does die at the end. And Saul is dead. Yeah, so what we have left... What we have left, the set, the scene that is set for us is the Philistines are in control of the territory. David is on the run and the Israelites are not in power. And David is somewhere out there. And so is yeah. his boy toy, Jonathan. This felt, this book felt very like fantasy. It felt like an episode of like a fantasy TV show or like yeah. part of a series of like a fantasy sci-fi kind of movie or some shit. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it was long, but I had a pretty good time. I had a good time. Do we want to get into rating it? I think we have to. Already? Okay. Well, what else um, is there? Or is there more? I don't know. Any I... final thoughts, feelings? Like, I liked it. I liked it. I lot. liked it. I This this book was um, felt different to me in that, like, it started out and I was miserable. And then it by the end, I was, like, really pretty invested in the story. Whereas, like, the other model that we've previously mm. mentioned is, like, starting off with a bang and then like fizzling to become this like total piece of shit drivel Um, so that was new and refreshing and I like really like Saul a lot like he's such an interesting character and like he kind of got fucked I mean he, he got picked to be king and then just kind of rejected I mean well, I think that it also, really would make you feel crazy and also like he's being possessed by a spirit of the yeah. Lord that's making him want to kill David so it's like is that even his fault like he can't control if a spirit well I guess he can with the harp whatever but you know what I mean it's just mean that you're doing this to this poor man yeah and then he just dies um totally okay so the ranking we have so far I oh, I we're gonna have notes, to so yeah I do so it, what we have so far the best the books of the bible in order of which one's the best you get it whatever Genesis Judges Exodus Deuteronomy Numbers Leviticus Joshua and Ruth is last um what are the first four Genesis Judges Exodus and Deuteronomy so it's definitely above Deuteronomy definitely uh okay I know where it goes after Exodus and that was like what I was thinking too. Yeah. I I feel like I'm like pretty removed from Exodus at this point, but I'm like remembering Exodus is the plagues. How exciting Exodus is, and like this book was really good, but you're gonna have to do a little bit more to like beat the plagues. Yeah, yeah I think I so. think the locusts alone. First Samuel, right after Exodus, so it's yeah, the fourth okay. now. Yep, that's pretty good. It's pretty good above Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, Joshua, and Ruth. Okay. Yeah. Well, I hope that um, whoever's still actually listening uh, enjoyed First Samuel. Yeah, I hope you like First Samuel. Um, it's interesting because there's it. then Second Samuel, but Samuel's dead. So what's that? I know. About? Well, it's interesting. Like, why is this called Samuel? Why is this not called David? I know, or Saul even. Okay. Well, I love you. I think some people are still listening. I don't. I know you said that, but like, I've heard. I've heard of some people that are listening. Yeah. I just wonder <laughs> if people listen to the whole episode. Either if you do or if you don't, we love you. And I love oh my God, you, totally. Courtney. And, I love you. Um, this has been for Samuel, and we will see you guys again so soon. See you soon. I love you. Bye. I love you. Bye.